In this episode of Proving Travel Trends blog, we're going to talk about altitude sickness. In the 1954 film, Secret of the Incas, mercenary bush pilot turned Cusco tourist guide Harry Steele, roguishly played by Charlton Heston, offers some sage advice to a group of tourists just off the plane. I'm not getting sick. I, I can hardly breathe. That's the altitude. We're more than two miles above sea level here, you know. You have to take it slow and easy. That's the way I like it. You'll enjoy Cusco. Go to the hotel first and get cleaned up. We'll see you there, Mr. Uh, Call me Harry. Where will you be if we suddenly want something? Right outside your door. Wonderful service. Never had any complaints. Hello, hotel. Darling, I think you'd better take a nap when we get to the hotel. A long nap. Mareo, Veta, the Puna, or the Siroche. These are all names for acute mountain sickness, which many people have the misfortune to experience firsthand when they visit two-mile-high destinations like Cusco or Lake Titicaca. To help us understand this topic, I'm speaking today with Dr. Fabiola Leon Velarde, the rector of Gaetano Heredia University, one of Peru's top medical schools, and she's also world-famous for her work on how people adapt to high altitude. Dr. Leon Velarde, thank you for speaking with us today. No, it's really a pleasure. Doctor, what is the physiological process occurring when I step off the plane in Cusco and I feel my breathing increase and my, my heart beating in my chest? What is happening is that the organism is acclimatizing to high altitude. So at that altitude, for example in Cusco, the oxygen pressure decreases. And we have some sensors in the carotids, which are called the carotid bodies, which respond increasing our ventilation and increasing uh, our heart rate and the uh, speed of our circulation system. But in some people, this does not occur at the level it has to be. So they have a low response to this mechanism. And um, they do not uh, breathe as they have to breathe. The heart does not beat as it has to beat. And uh, they have um, a decrease of the oxygen content in the body, so they feel this reaction and different symptoms and signs that you feel when you have acute mountain sickness. It's often said that the air is thinner at higher altitude. Is it that there's, there is less oxygen available? In fact, we have the, the same percentage of oxygen here in Lima at sea level or in the summit of Mount Everest. But what happens is the barometric pressure decreases. As it decreases, when we breathe, we breathe less oxygen per volume of air. So, in fact, less molecules of oxygen are entering our body. That's why we, we have less oxygen. It's been described as trying to uh, run at full speed but breathing through a straw. It's something akin to that, no? Yes, yes. In fact, what we say in physiology is that the organism is struggling for oxygen. And in fact, the cardiorespiratory system is adjusting to have um, more oxygen that is in the air. What are some of the evolutionary forces that spare Andean highlanders from, from this malady? Well, 
just in in the few uh, one or two years, we start to think that in fact there is some genetic adaptation in man uh, related to the molecule HIF two alpha which is a molecule that triggers all the responses to hypoxia in order to ha- have more oxygen in the organism. But, uh, in fact, this adaptation is not as important as we thought, um, because when we compare man with animals from high altitude, like llama, vicuña, andean rodents, they have very different mechanisms to uh, adapt to high altitude. So what we need as a mankind to acclimatize better to high altitude is really time because when we see the changes of, for example, the genetically adapted animals like guinea pigs, which are in the, in the altitude regions with the Andes, they have grown up or their ancestors has grown up with the Andes because they, they come from Africa 30 million years ago or when we compare the mechanism for take the llamas or the vicuñas, they were here 2 million years ago in the Andes. Man, only in the Andes around 12,000 years ago, the maximum 15,000, and in the Tibetan plateau around 30,000 years. So this is too little evolutionary time for mankind to adapt to high altitude. And when you compare the different mechanisms of adaptation, they are in fact at a different level. In the llamas, in the rodents, they are at the cellular and molecular level. At man, they are much more at the organism and system level. That's why we say we are struggling for oxygen, no? The heart beat harder, the, the lungs respond breathing harder. Um, but in fact, there is an adaptation of, of man, but not with the genetic integration that you see at the cellular level in the high altitude genetically adapted animals. You do see, however, that uh, for people who have lived for generations in, in the highlands, there are physical attributes. They have uh, larger chests, bigger lungs, or, or seemingly so. In fact, uh, uh, we cannot say that the high-altitude populations do not have um, some changes which make them m- more prone to live but high altitude. Indeed, they are capable of having a football game at uh, 4,000 meters in Puno. But these uh, adaptations or changes that we see, bigger lungs, much bigger number of red blood cells, um, bigger right heart than the sea level, uh, different response to breathing uh, physiologically, um, a higher pulmonary uh, pressure in the lungs. Indeed, they have that, and that is why they are capable to have a normal life and reproduce at high altitude. But these changes are almost completely lost when they come to sea level. The only thing that lasts at sea level is the capacity, the volume of the lungs. So a sea level native loses almost all their capacity or their characteristics of a high altitude native. And this is the proof that we are not really genetically adapted. If if you descend a llama or a guinea pig from high altitude to sea level, nothing changes. They have the same characteristic of the cardiorespiratory system. So this is a real difference.
It's interesting to see how people have understood the cause of, of altitude sickness over time. I was reading the other day on the internet the, the famous 19th century Swiss naturalist and explorer Johann Jakob von Trudy. He reported it this way, quote, the natives call this malady the puna, or the soroche, and the Spanish creoles give it the name of mareo, or veta. The districts in which the veta prevails with greatest intensity are, for the most part, rich in the production of metals, a circumstance which has given rise to the idea that it is caused by metallic exhalations. So, <laughs> until not terribly long ago, perhaps a century, there was a general belief that soroche was caused by breathing in metallic gases disengaged by the sun from the mountains. When did modern science start catching up to superstition? Well, we start to talk about this very, very early, in fact, in the Andes, because Father Acosta in the 16th century described the sensation of uh, the symptoms of Soroche as, as the air was very thin. And we think this is the first description of Soroche in the Andes, that there was, the, well, something in the air. In a general uh, population, uh, different things was believed, something you eat or metals. But the scientific community with, with the discoveries of Paul Baird and the, the Frenchman uh, who discovered the barometric pressure and violed the, the production of red blood cells when you were in the Andes, this was uh, 19th century, the end of uh, 19th century, when uh, this uh, Paul Bert started these studies with balloons in order to describe the effects of the decrease of barometric pressure. So I would say that in that moment, at the um, the end of uh, the 19th century, we, we start to believe very clearly that it was oxygen. And... What are some of the core questions being taken up now by scientists with regard to high-altitude living? Well, we continue to, to ask ourselves, why are so people so reactive, so intolerant to hypoxia, or why are some people intolerant to hypoxia, either in the natives or in the sea-level people? You can see this difference very clearly. In the people from sea level, when you go to high altitude, some people have a very severe soroche, and well, they have to, they need oxygen, no? And and they some tourists that go to Cusco and Puno, they really uh, have uh, their vacations uh, absolutely destroyed because of of soroche the first days. And people that can go there and well, maybe start walking and with not so many disturbances. Also, at natives of high altitude, you have natives that for life, they have no problem. They play any sports at 4,000 meters. They have an absolutely normal life. And you have people that develop chronic mountain sickness. And the answer for us that we have to, we, we try to find is why. This is the important difference. And this is very difficult to find it because as oxygen is our gasoline, of course the, the, the main energetic molecule is life oxygen, the oxygen protects itself very much in the supply of oxygen and the use of oxygen. So you have many possibilities where you can adapt there. No, and to find that key is very difficult, but it's like we are trying to search um, in our experiments uh, why 
this happens. And also it's connected for the problem of respiratory diseases because if you find the key how you can react better to the lower oxygen, you can also cope with all these pulmonary obstructive respiratory diseases. So it's not only for studying adaptation to altitude, but also to understand respiratory diseases. Who needs to be particularly concerned about susceptibility to soroche? Is it is it older people? Is it children? Is it is it overweight people? Or or is altitude sickness an equal opportunity affliction? It's um, an equal opportunity in the sense that in the general population you can have people very intolerant to to have soroche, or you can have people very tolerant. But also there are some risk factors indeed. And you have mentioned one of them, obesity. It's a, a factor because there's less, uh, less tendency to increase breathing when in obese person, hypertension, diabetes, um, any kind of non-control cardiovascular problem. And also you have mentioned children. Children has a, a higher and an increased response, but less equilibrated response, for example, from the pulmonary tree. So they could get higher pulmonary hypertension and they have less capacity to have a balanced acclimatization. And when they have an imbalanced acclimatization, they have much possibility also to have soroche. So in, in terms of the do's and the don'ts, how should people prepare for high altitude to avoid or, or mitigate soroche? If um, you are going to have a trekking at high altitude, it would be important to have a test, a, a hypoxia test. Now in many countries you can have these. And uh, we have in Lima one th- this kind of test, which in the test you are exposed to do exercise with hypoxia. So you simulate in, uh, in 20 minutes as if you were in Ticlio at uh, 4,800 meters. And with different indicators and variables, you can know how you react. So this would be the best thing to do, mainly if you are going to do exercise, because you have to, to know how you, you are going to react to the decrease of oxygen. Is that something that is available here in Lima for, say, a, a tourist with plans to go to higher altitude to Cusco or to the Coca Canyon or to Lake Titicaca? Yes, in the in our institute, Instituto de Investigaciones de la Altura of Cayetano Heredia University, we have this test. We need a phone call before uh, or enter to the web page and connect with the people of the institute. Um, you can have the test. But the tourists also consider that it takes one day more in Lima you know, to, to have the test because you have to go to the institute, take the test for 20 minutes. Uh, but if you are going to do a very long trekking, um, I think one day is really worth to do it because you, you will know how you are going to react. If you have that time to rest, uh, the better thing to do is to go to high altitude, stepping in uh, lower cities, for example. If you come to Peru, you can stop first in Arequipa, then go to Urubamba, not to directly to the city of Cusco because it's higher. Go to altitude slowly to acclimatize uh, bit by bit. Yes, because we, we know for sure that this acclimatization process, which takes energy from your body, lasts three days. So if you are you are intolerant, but you stay calm during the first day, and then you start little by little the second day to do a little more of activity, 
at the third day, you are sure that you are going to be free from Soroche. In fact, this is the, the more intelligent thing to do because Urubamba is one hour from Cusco. So the first thing to do is to go to Urubamba, go to Machu Picchu, which is lower than Urubamba, lower than Cusco, and then you, you will have, I think, almost no problem. You can stay there two nights and then go to Cusco. So you go from uh, 2,800 meters to 3,400, which is Cusco. And then after two nights you will be much more acclimatized and you will have less uh, problems with the decrease of oxygen pressure. There is also a pharmacological tool to cope with Oroche, which is acetazolamide. Diamox is for the brand name. It's a diuretic that is widely available in Peru over the counter. Yeah, the generic name is acetazolamide, and it has been tried in many scientific and clinical trials, and uh, it really works because it produces a metabolic acidosis. Your blood gets more acid, and this makes that your receptors, your brain receptors, increase the rate of uh, breathing. So you breathe more naturally with acetazolamide. So many people um, take it one day before and uh, they can breathe better at high altitude and they can feel better during the first day. But of course, it's better also to go to the doctor to be sure that you can take this, this diuretic because finally it's, it's, it's a diuretic. There are some recommendations that really can get you feel better the first day at high altitude. Don't drink alcohol, don't uh, eat uh, very heavy dinners, rest the first day. If you, if you think that you are very sensitive, mm-hmm. ask for acetazolamide. If you have very strong headaches, you can take an anti-inflammatory Peel. When people go to Cusco, the first thing that they're offered when they go to any of the hotels is uh, mate de coca, coca herbal tea. Is that helpful? Yes, yes it is because, well, it depends. Uh, if you take two or three cups, it will be a little more effective, but not in the sense that uh, you are going to decrease your possibilities to have soroche because you are controlling your your acclimatization. But because the la, la hoja de coca um which will will make that you have some uh, er, cocaine in at at the end in, in your plasma, very, very little. Mm-hmm. But it depends on the concentration will make that you increase your catecholamines because uh, the effects of coca leaves is uh, decrease the action of uh, one enzyme is called monoamino oxidasa so you increase your catecholamines adrenaline noradrenaline so your heart beat quicker and your you have an, an increase of your blood circulation so you supply more oxygen to your body one word of warning it can also uh, cause a false positive on a drug test for anyone listening to this who is a uh, uh, a government employee or, or law enforcement person who yes. then goes home, takes the drug test, and surprise. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. Dr. Fabiola Leon Velarde, thank you so much. Uh, thank you to you, really, very much for this interview. Um, for more information on Sorocha, you can visit us on the Peruvian Travel Trends blog at fairtour.info. That's www.fertur.info. Info. You can also find links to the site and also to hear this podcast interview uh, in full at PeruvianTimes.com. 
That wraps up this episode of Peruvian Travel Trends Podcasts. Until next time, I'm Rick Vecchio.